I want you to know that God is in this building. It is evident. You can see it. You can feel it. Hallelujah. And anything can happen. Anything can happen. I declare it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anything can happen in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whatever we can ask, think, or imagine, the Bible says he can do above all of that. Somebody lift up your hands for just a few more moments. Come on, let's just talk to Jesus for a few more moments. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, right where you're living. Can you believe God right now? I know we believe for a there and we believe for a then, but can you believe for a here and can you believe for a now? Come on, now faith, now faith, not then faith, not their faith, right now. Come on, blind Bartimaeus, not when he's crossing another road, not when he's going by another city, but right outside Jericho. Can you cry out? Come on, when Jesus is passing by, you gotta slow him down. Somebody lift up your voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise all across this building. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. It feels good to be in the house of the Lord on this Sunday afternoon. Being thankful for what we feel in this place. And I believe that God's going to talk to us here today. How many is ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. Everything we do in church, it leads up to this point where we open up the word of God. We receive a word so that we can come to the altar. We can pray about that word so that come Monday morning, we are equipped for what we need to face this world in Jesus name and I want to do that for just a few moments amen it is so good to have all of our guests and our visitors in the house of the Lord it is good to have Jacoby and Remy in the house of God with us amen it's also good to have Elena back in the house of the Lord she's so grown up now I didn't even recognize her but it's good to have her back in the house of God and to all of our other guests and visitors, we're pleased and honored that you're here. We want to encourage you to join us in prayer this Tuesday night, 7 p.m. And then also we're going to get into the Word of God on Wednesday night and study. So we want to encourage you to be there and to be a part of what God's doing. But before we get to any of that, as soon as this altar call is finished, we want you to come down and pray with us. But when it's all said and done, we're going to have some time where we get together and we just have some good old dessert. We didn't want any of those desserts to go to waste. We're going to be making new ones for the Harvest Festival as we change the date. But we didn't want to waste any of those. So we want to bless you with the Word of God, and then we want to bless you with some good dessert. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, and verse number 1. And for my sound man back there, I'm going to be reading this in the ESV. You'll be able to follow along in the KJV if that's what you got. Isaiah 35. Amen. Isaiah 35. Amen. Verse number one, the Bible declares, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Everybody say shall. It means it's coming. The desert shall rejoice 
and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Everybody say shall. It means it will. Amen. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those that have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground a spring of water. In the, and the, in the hunt of the jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become as reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those that walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. What a powerful powerful prophecy and promise of what shall be the bible declares that the dry land shall be glad the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus and i want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject there is hope on the horizon there is hope on the horizon would you set down your bibles and let's pray as a church Hallelujah. Let's pray that God would touch us. Hallelujah, Lord. We're believing for everything that shall be, God. Hallelujah. We're trusting for everything that shall be. But I pray, God, not for what shall be. I'm not praying for what one day will come. But, God, I'm praying for something to happen right now. I'm praying for the blossoming of the crocus. I'm praying that there would be a blossom that would start, amen, the shifting of the season in this house and in this place. And we're going to give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's clap our hands and give Jesus one more hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him there is hope on the horizon, and you may be seated. There is hope on the horizon. American psychologist Martin Seligman initiated research on the theory that he deemed learned helplessness in 1967 at the University of Pennsylvania. It was an extension of his interest in studying depression. Learned helplessness is the behavior exhibited by a subject after enduring repeated adverse stimuli beyond their control. Learned helplessness is a state that occurs after a person has experienced a stressful situation 
repeatedly. They come to believe that they are unable to control, they are unable to change the situation, so they do not even try. Even when opportunities for change become available. To test this theory, he decided to put it to a study. In part one of his study, he took three groups of dogs that were placed in harnesses. Group one of dogs were simply put in a harness for a period of time and then later released. Groups two and three consisted of yoked pairs. In other words, two dogs in one harness. And in the dogs in group two were given electric shocks at random times, which the dog could end by simply pressing a lever. Each dog in group three was paired with a group two dog. And whenever group two dog got a shock, its paired group three dog also got a shock with the same intensity and duration. However, its lever did not stop the shock. To a dog in group number three, it seems as if the shock ended at random because it was paired with a dog from group two that was pushing a lever and making it stop. Thus, for group three dogs, the, the shock seemed inescapable. In part two of the experiment, these same three groups of dogs were tested in a shuttle box. All the dogs could escape the shocks on one side of the box simply by jumping over a low partition onto the other side. The dogs in groups one and two quickly learned this task and escaped the shock. Most of the group three dogs, however, which had previously learned that nothing they did had any effect on the shock, simply lay down passively and whined as they were shocked. From these experiments, it was thought that there was to be only one cure for helplessness. Siegelman hypothesis, the, hypothesized that the dogs do not try to escape because they expect that nothing they do will change the shock. To change this expectation, the experimenters physically picked up the dogs and moved their legs, replicating the actions that the dogs would need to take in order to escape from the electrified grid. This had to be done at least twice before the dogs started willfully jumping over the barrier on their own. Learned helplessness was initially thought to be the cause was initially thought to be caused by the subject's acceptance of their powerlessness by discontinuing attempts to escape or to avoid adver adverse stimulus. But upon uh, ex exhibiting such behavior, the subject was said to have acquired learned helplessness, and they decided they were going to look into this a little further. And over the past few decades, neuroscientists have provided insight into learned helplessness and shown that the original theory had it backwards. The brain's default state is to assume that control is not present and the presence of helpfulness is what is learned first. However, it is unlearned when a subject is faced with prolonged aversion and adverse stimulation. What am I saying? In essence, we start, look, we start out looking for something that can help us. But when we don't find it after much time, we begin to learn and we begin to feel helplessness. Someone asked the question, 
if helplessness is something that can be learned and something that can be developed, can it be unlearned? So years later, someone decided they were going to reverse the study by using some rats as test subjects. They took these rats and they put them into water. They, they all began to swim around until they hit the nine-minute mark. And at the nine-minute mark, these rats begin to sink. This was that, at this point, the researchers grabbed the rats and they picked them up out of the water. This was the point where they recognized the rats had lost hope and began to feel helpless. But it was at this moment the researchers pulled them out of the water, dried them off, warmed them up, and then immediately put them back into the water. This time, the rats far surpassed the nine-minute mark. It wasn't until approximately 18 minutes later that the rats began to struggle and to stop swimming. The researchers then swooped in. They pulled them out again, dried them off, warmed them up, and then immediately put them back in the water. Man, I'm so glad they research on rats and dogs and not me. It was at this time they put these rats back in the water that these rats passed the nine-minute mark. They passed the 18-minute mark, and they only began to sink at 37-minute mark. In total, the same rats that were ready to give up and drown after their first nine minutes of swimming in the water became the same rats that swam for well over an hour. All it took was a little bit of hope to be introduced into their helpless situation, and their mindset began to switch. They no longer waited for their inevitable drowning. After each spark of hope, they started swimming without sinking waiting for the next spark of hope. Can I help somebody here today? It's not how long you're in the situation that matters. It's not even how you feel about the situation. It's how you think about the situation that makes all of the difference. You can swim longer than you give yourself credit for. You can go further than you ever recognize God created you to be able to endure. I think we ought to give God uh, some praise. Uh, hallelujah, the God that put more in you uh, than you thought you had. Uh, that God that said, I got more for you uh, than you've settled for. Uh, somebody ought to give that God some praise. This led the researchers to discover that not only is helplessness learned, but so is optimism. People with learned helplessness feel helpless to take action with the belief that their situation is beyond their control. They use negative self-talk in the form of permanent and pervasive explanations to describe bad events and to describe why they can't change. When faced with adversity, they act as pessimists and give up too soon or spiral into hopelessness. They may suffer from depression, anxiety, and stress. Excessive worrying can also impact their sleep and lead to poor health. 
I want to tell you that this is what's happening in our society that is so beat down, uh, that has been so helpless for so long. Uh, this is why, uh, amen, somebody's wondering why depression's on the rise. Uh, they want to say it's social media. They want to say it's all these other things. Uh, I think those are contributing factors. Uh, but what the real story is, uh, is I think people have been beat down for far too long. Uh, they've not seen the light of day for far too long. Uh, and that this hope uh, that we've got uh, is the very answer for everything they need people will learn optimism are a little different mind you you got people that have the rats and the dog going through similar things but people learn optimism they feel inspired to take action with the belief that they can change their situation see you don't know i'm talking about psychology right now but i'm going to preach to somebody <laughs> amen Amen. God created us. He knows us. And it's our job to just figure out who we are and what we are. Amen. So these psychologists are doing their best. But I want to tell you, amen, this is how mankind's been for a long time. Amen. There's a big difference between people. And I've talked about it before. People that have learned helplessness are people that have bought into the lie of something called fate. Fate is just that. I can't change it. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. If it happens, it happens. I have no control over anything. They bought into the lie because of so many negative things that have happened that now nothing but negative things are going to happen. You ever heard somebody say, well, that's just my luck. Uh, we don't believe in luck around here. Hey, Amen. Hallelujah. We do believe the Bible says time and chance happens to us all. But I want to tell you, regardless of the hand that you've been dealt, regardless of the time and chance that has happened to you, I don't want you to go out of this building thinking, I can't make a difference uh, and I can't change it. Uh, I want to preach to somebody uh, that you can, in fact, uh, make a difference uh, right where you are. Come on, God came to send, send me to preach to you. Uh, you can get up from where you are. It is not hopeless where you are. It is not the end where you are, but you can rise up from where you are and you can move forward. Oh, somebody ought to give him praise. Amen. People with learned optimism, amen, just psychology for a moment, use positive self-talk. Amen. We, we, they get all these psychological concepts, but... The Bible talks about singing to yourself psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Amen. I want to tell you, there's things we do, amen, that they do, but it's a little different because we're not talking to ourselves. We're talking to the audience of one. Amen. We're singing to Jesus. Amen. They use this positive self-talk in the form of temporary and specific explanations to describe the bad events. In other words, they control the narrative. They don't let the narrative control them. They don't let uh, what has happened now become, uh, amen, the theme of their life. Uh, amen. You can find a pattern in anything if you look at it long enough. Amen. If you look at something long enough, you'll start seeing patterns where there are no patterns. Uh, you start looking at one bad thing that's happened in your life and the next bad thing that happened in your life. Uh, and if you look at it long enough negatively, uh, you'll start seeing a pattern. You'll start thinking, uh, amen, I'm bound to have something negative happen next. Uh, but I want to tell you, God doesn't work like that. Uh, the Bible says all things work together for the good. Yes, it might be bad. And the next thing might be bad. And the next thing might be bad. Uh, and you want to tell yourself there's a pattern and it's going to keep being bad but i want to help somebody here today what was bad what was bad what was bad what the enemy meant for evil what others meant for evil the bible says god turns it around for good 
and every event, he makes it good. And every, you can look for all the bad patterns or you can change your mindset and say, what good is going to come out of this? What good is going to come out of my struggle? What good is going to come out of my hurt? What good? Oh, somebody ought to give him praise all across this house. Hallelujah. When faced with adversity, they act as optimists and keep pushing forward instead of ruminating about the past. Amen. You want to know if you've met a pessimist, if all they can talk about is the good old days, they're a pessimist. If all they can look at is all the bad things that have ever happened, they're a pessimist. If all they can look at and they can show you is their past, amen, whether it's their good old days or whether it's their bad in their past, you're talking to a pessimist. But the optimist is a little different. Amen. These people, they enjoy more success at work, better health, relationships, overall quality of life. But I want to help somebody here today. I didn't come to just psychoanalyze you. Amen. I didn't just come to talk about optimists and pessimists. I want to tell you the Christian word for optimism is a word called hope. Everybody shout the word hope. Everybody shout the word hope. Well, I'm just a pessimist. No, you're not. You lack hope. Well, I'm just a realist. No, you're not. You just lack hope. And you lack the real view of what hope is and what hope can do. To my optimist in the house, you're not an optimist. You just strengthen the muscle of learned hope. But what is hope? Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. What is hope? If I could put it in the simplest definition, hope is the simple belief that things can change. Let me say it again. Hope is the simple belief that things can change. I didn't say hope is the simple belief that things have changed. I haven't said that hope is a simple belief uh, that things are changing as we speak, uh, but hope is a simple belief that whether today or whether tomorrow or whether next year, it can. Come on, I came to preach to somebody. you got to let hope rise in your heart today, wherever you're at, whatever you're facing. I want you to know that it is possible that there can be a difference. It is possible. In fact, it is probable. If you got God involved, it is going to happen. And you can have hope that God's going to make a way for you. Oh, somebody ought to shout and give God some praise. Hope. Is the simple belief that things can change. I know I'm dealing with somebody that's lost hope when they can't, they, they can't see any other difference than what they got. They can't see a way out. They can't see a way of escape. But the Bible says God with every temptation shall make a way of escape. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Everybody facing me, I want you to know, just because you can't see the door that you came in from doesn't mean there's not a door. Well, preacher, you don't know how far I've gotten into this mess. I've lost hope. All I see, I don't see any light at the end of my tunnel. Amen. I don't see any good days ahead of me. Amen. You've lost hope, sir. You've lost hope, ma'am. But I want to help you here today. Just because you can't see the way out doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I want you to know that God with every temptation, not with some, not with a few, but every single one, he also makes a way of escape. God will never put you in something permanently. 
God puts you in there. Learn the lesson. Get what you need to get. Strengthen your faith. Grow in your Christianity. And then find the door. You may not see it, but the door's there. You may not feel it, but the door's there. You can see it. You might be able to feel it. But now you got to step through the door. Somebody shout and give him some praise. Hope says it can. It can. You may not feel it. You may not see it, but it can. Let me just help everybody. Amen. If you want to come to me for counsel, let's do it. I'm down for it. But let me tell you what I will say. I'll spare you the time. It can change. Well, pastor, it's not changed. It hasn't. You're right. You don't like the output. We got to go back and check the input. You don't like the answer. We got to go back and look at the equation. Amen. Because somewhere along there, there's an answer. Somewhere along the lines in that equation, we're going to find the door that we need to escape. Somewhere in the midst of that mess, God's got a way of escape, and we've got to find it. Amen. But we cannot lose hope. We cannot stop hoping in God. We cannot stop hoping that God is going to make a difference. We can't stop hoping that God is going to help us to make the change that is necessary to get out of where we are. It has been said that a person can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but only four seconds without hope. Somebody once said, hope dares to give when no one else is sharing. Even when no one believes, hope is giving belief. Even when the circumstances have gone too far, Hope is giving, uh, amen, that there's more time, uh, that there's more opportunity. Uh, even when you've hit the bottom uh, with no plan of getting out, uh, hope gives you, uh, amen, that very, uh, very small uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it might be very hard to see, uh, and you can decide whether or not you're going to focus on the darkness around you or keep your eyes on the exit. Hope is the fuel to keep moving forward when times get tough. Uh, hope brings enthusiasm for the future. Uh, amen. And even sometimes hope is what it takes uh, to save your life. Uh, hope is embedded deep within inside the people, the men and the women that have learned from their losses. Come to help somebody here today that's saying, well, I haven't, I, I don't know how to hope. I'm not, I don't have any hope left. Uh, amen. They have done the studies and they've learned hope. Amen. It's something you got to learn. As much as you learned helplessness, as much as you got to learn pessimism, as much as you got to learn uh, the thought process that says it's never going to change, it's never going to work, you've also got to learn, uh, amen, from every time you go through a difficult season, uh, every time some people wonder why God lets them go through difficulty. Uh, God lets you go through difficulty for the trying of your faith. The trying of your faith worketh patience, and patient works experience, and experience works, it works hope. I want to help somebody every time you go through the fire, God's helping you to learn how to hope. Every time you go through a struggle, God's helping you to learn how to hope. Every time you're broke, God's teaching you how to learn hope. Every time you're sick, God's teaching you how to learn hope. Every time you're struggling with your family members, God's teaching you how to learn hope. But you got to go through the fire to let hope come out purified. Oh, somebody ought to shout and give him praise. Come on, somebody lift up your hands. 
Every struggle is an opportunity to learn hope. Every failure is an opportunity to learn hope. Every dark time is an opportunity to learn hope. Somebody pray in this house. Hallelujah. Can I help you here today? Well, Pastor, I don't have any hope. I'm preaching hope to you, so there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Amen. But I don't have any hope. Hope is a choice. And I want to help you here today. Hope is always one of the choices. Well, Pastor, I don't, I don't feel like I have any choices. That's different. That's a different story. You don't feel like you have any choices, but hope is, in fact, a choice. You can choose to hope or not choose to hope. That's up to you. But hope is a choice. People choose hope, even in times of defeat, knowing that it will motivate them to learn and eventually find the victory that they're looking for. I've met people that, that they are on the opposite side of this. They don't even like trying. They don't like trying because they know that trying sometimes means losing. But you got to take some little L's to get the big W. You got to lose to learn. You got to fail to go forward. I'm not talking about sinning and making a mistake in that respect, although that might be the case. There's some people that had had Saul not thrown stones at Stephen. He maybe would have never become an apostle, but because he made that mistake, God was able to knock him up his high horse. God will even use your mess. God will even use your mistakes to make something out of you. But you got to take the, the L. You got to take the loss. And sometimes that loss, it seems insurmountable. But every loss is leading me closer to a victory. Every time I fall, I'm falling forward. Can I preach to the, the person that says, I got to get good before I get God? You ain't never going to get God because you're never going to get good enough to get God. Well, i got to get good first, and then I'll give it a try. That's not how this kingdom works. You want to know how this kingdom works? You fall down. You scrape your knees. You get back up. You fall down. You scrape your knees, and you get back up. You fall down. You scrape your knees, and you get back up. Because a righteous man falleth seven times, but he gets up eight. Somebody ought to shout. A righteous individual might fall seven, but he gets up eight. He might fall seven, but he makes sure my rising up is greater than my falling down. That getting up from this is more important than falling down from that. When you learn hope, it will get you to keep going when everybody else around you quits. It'll get you to keep swimming when everybody else starts sinking. Amen. Hope changes the narrative. Ecclesiastes 9 and 4 says, For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I love Proverbs. It's so smart. You know, there's people, they cry about the dead lion. Well, they want to go back to dead lion days. Because it seemed better to them. Uh, the good old days were better. They want to go back to their past relationship. Uh, amen. Because they're currently struggling in what they got. Uh, there's people that all they can think about is the past divorce. Uh, all they can think about is the last job they left. Uh, but I want to tell you, it's dead. It's gone. 
And, and what you got is better than what you lost. I'll help you here today. I'll get through to somebody that is currently moping over what they lost and currently crying over the fact that they can't go back. There's people that right now, they're trying to take their deadline for a walk, and it ain't going nowhere. You're trying to take your past for a walk, and it ain't going nowhere. You're trying to take your old thinking for a walk, and it ain't going nowhere. You're trying to take your old walk with God, and it ain't going nowhere because it died. But if you could ever get the hope that says what I got is worth walking with, what I got, it changes, hope changes your perspective that says, yes, that lion time is gone, but I got a dog time coming up. Yes, that time is over, but I got something right now I can throw myself into. So many want a lost lion over the living dog. But hope changes the perspective. That hope, amen, for hope, perspective is everything. Amen. Our faith and our hope is confident, confident assurance that is founded upon the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, all of the actions of the heroes of faith recorded in Hebrews 11 were made possible because they had this faith, this faith uh, that was based in confidence uh, or based in hope. Uh, and this hope uh, is an assurance. Uh, this assurance uh, is a hope in God. Uh, amen. Verse 11 says... Sarah received strength to have Isaac because she judged him to be faithful. Amen. Can I help somebody? She'd been barren for 99 years. But all it took was one more word from God and Sarah who had lost strength and Sarah who had lost hope and Sarah who had given up and Sarah that had made mistakes. She hoped again and she changed the perspective she said I might be old but God's faithful I might not have the strength but God's faithful I may not be able to see a way out but God's faithful her hope changed her perspective biblical hope is a reality and it's not a feeling biblical hope carries with it no doubt biblical hope is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives, believing that God will always keep his promises. If I have nothing else to hope in, I can hope in that word. If I have nothing else to believe in or hope in, I can always go back and I can hope in God. Because God never changes and God never fails. And God always keeps his promises. And God never lies. And God never changes. I can put my hope in nothing less than Jesus Christ. When we realize that our hope, amen, we have people, they've got hope. And they got hope in all the wrong things. When they put their hope in the wrong thing, unfortunately, that can be false hope. Because things in the world shift and change. You can't put your hope in fleeting things. You can't put your hope, well, I hope I'm going to get this job. You ain't got the qualifications. You didn't put in the application. You're not getting the job. You can put your hope in all this world, and it fail you. 
But when you put your hope in the Word of God and you put your hope in the, in the faith that God has given you uh, and you put your hope uh, in your prayers uh, that you made that God hears every one of those prayers, uh, it changes everything. Uh, and you can say, God, uh, I'm praying that you'd make a way. Uh, I don't exactly know how you're going to do it. Uh, I don't even need to know how you're going to do it. But my hope is steadfast. Uh, my hope is confident. My hope is firm uh, that I place my hope in the right one and in the right place. Uh, and God is going to make a way. You got to learn hope. Hope, the Bible says, maketh not ashamed. It is not a shameful thing for you to hope. There's people that are ashamed of hope. They, they, they got a positive outlook on things. They got hope. And they want to be ashamed because everybody else is moping and crying. Amen. This is what Jesus, when he came to Jairus' house, Jarius had been given two words. One said, trouble not the master, your daughter's already dead. And the second word says, fear not, only believe. And when he shows up to the house, he's even got paid mourners. Everybody's crying. What a great job. I know some folks be real good at that. I can make a living on that. They turn on the waterworks real easy. Amen. But they're there crying. and Oh. And he's got a decision to make. Am I going to hope in what God has told me? Or, and, and mind you, disrupt the atmosphere. Because when you have hope, you disrupt the atmosphere around you. When a Christian walks in the building, you aren't just walking in, amen, just because you might look a little different. When you walk in the room, you are walking in full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, full of hope. And when you walk in, the atmosphere begins to change. When Jairus walked in saying, I'm going to hold on to hope of what Jesus said. Jesus said, get those mourners out of here. We're not about to have a funeral. Hope says we're about to have a resurrection. Fear says there's going to be a funeral. Fear says everything's going to continue on as it is. Fear says it's over. Fear says it's done. But hope says there's a better day coming. Hope says there's more life left. Hope says... Hope says, I haven't seen God's best yet. Hope says, God's got more for me. Hope says, my best days are still on the horizon. Let's stand across the building and lift up our hands. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Come on, I challenge somebody. You've been looking at the darkness. But can you see the stars in the darkness? That's a bright light. Can you see the moon that's reflecting the sun in the middle of your darkness? That's called hope, honey. That's called hope. While everybody else sees darkness, while everybody else sees void, while everybody else sees blackness, when you look up full of hope, you see God that made the stars can take care of me. Isaiah chapter 35 as we read in the opening, specifically mentions the crocus flower. In the dry land and in the wilderness, the Bible declares this crocus flower pops up out of the dry, sun-cracked soil, and it causes the desert to rejoice. In other words, the crocus flower is a sign of change in the seasons. It is a sign that the rain is coming. 
The winter crocus grows after Israel's long hot summer. It is the earliest plant to bloom. It is among the earliest plants to bloom. The crocus visually is small and seemingly insignificant. It only reaches one to three inches tall. Oh, man. What hope we have. You ever been in a dry place? I know I have. We live in the desert, folks. We all should have said amen to that. Brother D is out there in Silver Springs, and brother, you know what I'm talking about. You guys, you guys could build a house out of tumbleweeds out there. Amen. It's dry. It's dry. Israel, amen. They call it the promised land, but it's a desert. Ain't no much, ain't not, there's not a lot of promise there. Amen. But if you look at this promise in the book of Isaiah, it is referring to the Messiah that is coming. It is referring that there is going to be a Messiah by the name of Jesus that is going to split the sun-cracked soil. Isaiah later writes and says, He shall be like a tree. He shall be like a root, amen, out of the dry and dusty soil. Out of root, out of dry ground. That's what the Messiah is like. The prophet Isaiah is likening this crocus flower to the Messiah. It is basically a sign of hope to the wilderness that things are about to change. It is a sign to the wildlife. It is a sign to the wanderer that things are about to be different. This crocus flower was a sign of the change of seasons. So across the desolate desert, amen, when you see a little crocus flower, you knew that eventually, maybe not today, maybe not this week, but I can tell just by this thing popping up, it showed its little one to three inch head, amen, that rain's coming, that there is going to be a change in the season. You knew when you saw this crocus flower, that something was going to be different. This little crocus flower was a glimmer of hope that it was not always going to be the way that it was. Can I help somebody? It won't always be the way it is. Let me give you hope. It doesn't always have to be the way it is. And furthermore, whether for good or for bad, it won't always be the way that it is because things change. One thing you can guarantee about life is that life changes. So when we are living in that desert place, as some might be here today, it's dry where you're living. God does not leave us without hope. And God does not leave us without evidence of His faithfulness. It is this little sprouting of this crocus flower that helps us and reminds us that God is faithful, that God is going to do something different. Amen. I want to help somebody here today that when the Isaiah started writing this and he wrote, he said that, the, that, that this little blossom is about to appear and the wilderness, this solitary place, this dry place that has been nothing but mourning, it's been nothing but vultures and death, it's about to be glad. Amen. It's about to rejoice because the crocus flower has appeared. There's some people you're saying, well, preach, I just, I just, I'm going through a lot right now. I want to tell you, if we were to do the inspection 
over the wilderness that we live in right now, I promise you there's some glimmer of hope. Amen. That if you were to look for it, amen. And at first when that crocus flower popped up, it was all by itself. And then a little bit later, another one popped up and another one popped up until the ground floor is covered with it. And the, and the Messiah is being prophesied that he's going to appear. And when he appears, it's going to start a chain reaction that this one little instance of hope from the Messiah and from his appearance, it's going to touch the parched ground. The rain is going to fall. And now it's no longer going to be a desert. It's no longer going to be a wilderness. It's no longer going to be a dry place. But there's going to be rivers and there's going to be green grass and all the life it's going to come and dwell in this place but I love it he says that when this happens see all you saw was a crocus flower all you saw was a little thing he said but by the time it's all done the lions aren't coming by by the time it's all said and done the predators aren't coming by. What's he saying? He's saying that the vultures that thrived in the wilderness, the vultures that thrived when you were dry, the vultures that thrived when you had nothing, there's coming a day, amen, God's about to make a change in your life, and God gave you a little sign, like a little flower, that said, when you see this flower, have hope. When you see this flower come, when you see this flower appear, you can have hope that not only is this appearing but there's greater things that are coming let's lift up our hands and let's pray God said when you see this little flower there's hope on the horizon when you see this little flower, there's hope on the horizon. Can I preach to somebody? Amen. There's little flowers that show up in your life. Sometimes it's a preacher preaching a sermon, and that's a little flower. You got to cling to hope. Sometimes it's a song they sing. You got to cling to that little flower. Sometimes it's when you go to the altar and God speaks a word to you. It may not seem like much to anybody else, but you got to cling to that flower and say, This is a sign that good things are coming. This is a root out of dry ground. You're going to have a move of God, you're going to have a revival when you see this little thing start. There's some people you've been swimming and you feel like you're sinking. Let me tell you what hope does. Just one word of hope lifts you up out of that situation and gives you a different perspective. That doesn't mean you're not going to go back into the trial. You want to know why church is so great? See, some people think church is just a religious obligation. You, you don't have to come if you don't want to. That's fine. But for those of us that got a revelation, when I come to this place, I get hope. Come on. When I come to this house, I get hope. And you might have come here on your last leg. You might have come to this building sinking under the water. Amen. Feel like it's all going under. But all of a sudden, God sends you a preacher and says, have a little bit of hope. And it lifts you up out of the water. Brother Jonathan, you know what hope does? When I feel like sinking, hope lifts me up and says, I can, I can swim a little longer. I can pray a little longer. I can believe a little longer. I can press a little harder. I can run a little further. Just one ounce of hope. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But let me help somebody. If you got hope the size of a mustard seed, you can climb them. 
if God will give you just a little bit of hope today, I want to tell you what you do with that hope. You plant it and you nurture it. Come on, if you're the type of person that you just always want to see the worst in things, let me get this in your spirit. God's not finished with you and God's not done with you. And you take that little seed home and you plant it in your soil. Make sure tomorrow morning you water that hope. The preacher said, my best days are ahead of me. The preacher said, God's not done yet. The preacher said, the greatest revival we've ever seen hasn't even showed up yet. And you just water that and you start learning to hope and you start learning. It might start off small, but it fills the whole valley. Lift up your hands. I'm done preaching. Would you lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, I will hope. I will hope. I will hope. I will make my decision. I'm going to have hope in God. I will have hope that God can make a change in my life. I will have hope that God will give me the strength to get through this. I will have hope that it's not over for me. I will have hope that I'm about to see a different view. and I'm about to see a different perspective. And my valley is no longer going to be a wilderness. It's dry. It's about to have streams in the wilderness. It's about to be a lush land. I want to open up this altar. Would you come all across this building? Come on, let's pray. There's some people in this house. You have, you have allowed life to beat you down for so long. All you can see is the shock that's coming. All you can feel is the hurt. All you can see is the trials. But I came to preach to you and lift you up and show you uh, that if you can have hope in God, uh, he's going to get you through this. If you can let your hope in God be nurtured and grow, you will not you stay where you are. for too long, but God sent me to bring hope to you today, lift you up out of your mess, lift you up out of your vantage point, lift you up to a higher place. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. 